0: We'll be here to guide you to that endless power and insight within until you learn how to get there and function from there by yourself. This is a journey about being authentic, learning how to trust your instincts, realizing that each and every one of us are not just enough, but also perfect the way we are right now. Hey everyone, Mario Parekh here, and as always, I am joined by Ela Crane, and we'd like to welcome you to The Peaceful Ease podcast. You can reach out and ask Hila any questions you want, comments, questions, ideas, anything you want to share with us. You can do it right over the phone via the Peaceful Ease hotline. That number is 424 625 5562. You can also email us. Podcast at peacefullease.com is the email address. And keep up with all things Peaceful Ease at the website. Peacefullease.com is where you can do that. Ella, I am super excited for today's episode and I'm super excited to be back with you today.
1: Hi Mario. Yeah, nice to be back and I have a special guest today.
0: I know I'm so excited. Barbara Corellis is here and I had the opportunity to listen to your interview and you did a fantastic job, I have to say.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult not to do a great job with Barbara because she's so unique and what she does is so unique. She's a sex educator. And as I was recording, or when I had the idea to interview her, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a tricky episode because sex is a topic that many people feel like, oh, this is not something I want to talk about. But then I thought this is exactly why I want to interview Barbara to overcome this fear about talking about sex and also understanding how it affects our relationships and it affects who we are in a way. And Barbara has been coaching people and uh, working with couples for over 30 years. So she has an immense experience, and I really wanted to learn her take on relationships and how things are changing.
0: And that's one of the things I love the most about your interview is the fact that how you framed Sex. Because when you first told me that she's an expert in sex, I thought, oh, this could go a number of different ways. I'm super interested <laughs> to hear it. But when I went back and listened to it, the relationship between relationships and sex and the way that she explains it, it's really, really cool to hear it from a different perspective than we're used to even here in the West, especially. And the fact that she talks about it, One of the things I want to point out to people when they go into this, because I was super excited to hear this and it was super, super interesting. The difference between monogamous relationships, multi person relationships, and how the two can kind of interact with one another. It was super interesting to hear that openness and that non judgmental approach from a different perspective that ties relationships into sex. So it doesn't take that quote unquote pornographic approach, mm-hmm. it's about actual relationships and how sex is in our everyday lives.
1: Yeah. And Barbara does that really well. Like she's very open. She's always, always very positive. She has this amazing energy about her and she's who she is, but yet she gives such tremendous space for people to share experience and express who they are. And that's very unique in that sense. She's really like a role model for me.
0: That's fantastic. So let me go ahead and read her bio real quick and then we'll open it up to the interview because I just thought it was fantastic and I can't wait for it. But by the way, before I do that, I want to mention that there is a part one and part two. So the following episode of Peaceful Ease that listeners hear will be part two of the interview. So... Don't go anywhere for at least the next two episodes. You're going to absolutely love them. So Barbara Corellis, she's an author, artist, innovator, instigator, and thought leader in the fields of sex, gender, and spirit. She works as a life coach, sex educator, workshop facilitator, university lecturer, and motivational speaker. She wrote, directed, and produced films and educational audio series. And she's also the author of two books, Urban Tantra and Ecstasy is Necessary. She has an amazing, what she calls an unblog on her website, which is barbaracarellis.com. So go there, check out all things that she's working on and that she's up to. And she also founded Urban Tantra, which is an approach to conscious sexuality and has lectured at many educational institutions, including Harvard University. In 2016, she was awarded a Sexual Freedom Award for Lifetime Achievement. So again, barbaracarellis.com is her website. That's where you can find out more. And with that being said... I'm ready to open it up to the interview. What do you say, Hila? I'm excited. Let's do it.
1: And here we are with Barbara. Barbara, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. From Mallorca to New York, we are connected, finally. Barbara, I was just looking at your website, and you've been around a long time, (laughs) and I say it in a good way. (laughs) and what I loved about the description about what you do is like sex slash life coach and you mentioned the inseparable connection between our sex lives and the rest of our lives beautifully and you've been doing what you've been doing since 1980s and I was just thinking as I was reading these lines you must have seen so much change in a way and from such a unique angle because i don't think anyone else can be close to a couple's relationship than you've been basically so during your coaching career and your workshops and all the events and you do so much what would you say has changed in our relationships during the past 30 years
2: wow that's a big question (laughs) the first thing that comes to mind, and I think it's a pretty significant one. I've been teaching a particular workshop, Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for the 21st Century, at the Open Center in New York City for, I just realized, about 10 years. So just looking at the past 10 years, I'm noticing that 10 years ago, people either came solo to the workshop, or they came very much as a couple. Now I'm seeing people in multi-partner relationships coming as a thruple, a three-star, <laughs> or maybe two couples who have some sort of relationship. I'm seeing different relationship configurations. And years ago, when because I never force people to partner up with people they don't know, I offer them choices like you can do this exercise alone in a mirror, or You can partner up with someone, or if you want to, you can sit it out. And those were the only options 10 years ago. Now it's, or you can work in threes or fours. And instead of people thinking that's weird, they go, Oh, I want to try that. So I do think that there have always been relationships that are non monogamous or that welcome more than two people into it. But the biggest change I've seen is that those relationships are coming above ground.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or people who have been drawn to those relationships but found it socially unacceptable are now feeling the permission to try them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting because if one reads a book like Dossie Eastman and Janet Hardy's Ethical Slut, or Tristan Taramino's Opening Up, or many other good ones, you see that in those books, as the author's tell us how to negotiate our way through multi-partner relationships or non-monogamous relationships. They're really telling us how to do all relationships. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are non-monogamous, polyamorous, however they identify, they have to really work at time management, communication, jealousy issues. They have to be laser focused on the attention they pay to their relationships. In monogamous relationships, we are less likely to be so conscious and rigorous because it's kind of the default. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're all supposed to know how to do it. And it's supposed to be natural. And if we have a problem, it's not a problem with the structure. It's our problem. We're doing (laughs) it wrong. And I think all couples could benefit from reading some of the work produced by people in non-monogamous relationships.
1: Yeah, good point. I never thought of that, like time-wise and effort-wise, how to manage a relationship and how burdening it can be to have multiple of that. So interesting point. And do you think we consume relationships faster now than 30 years ago? Is it just my perception of time and with internet, everything speeding up a bit. Do you feel there's an impact on our relationships? I do. But everything you said, internet speeding up, everything
2: speeding up. I do think so. But I think in the last 30 years, there has continually been some sort of pressure like that, even without the internet. I think we are less likely to stay in relationships that don't fulfill us.
1: I think we tolerate less. We are more impatient. Yeah, we're more likely to
2: set a boundary and say, this is not good for me and move on, I think, than we were many years ago.
1: And your work mixes sexuality and spirituality in a beautiful way. In your workshops and in your coaching and in your books, you use the words like, meditation, tantra, shamanism, you touch Reiki, breathwork, bodywork, Taoism, so many spiritual areas. But then you deal with this fast speed era and the people who live in this era, our minds are all over the place. What are the challenges of introducing these techniques in an area of like sexuality while the minds of the people are so busy with other things? That's a great question. By making it
2: super clear, super easy to understand and super easy to do. And I'll give you a little history on that one. I started my work during the AIDS crisis in the 80s. And my friend Annie and I started studying Tantra because we had heard that Eastern sexual practices like Tantra had a spiritual bent, first of all. And also, we're more about energy and less about what you do with your genitals. This was important because we were living during plague times. We were living in the middle of the AIDS crisis. So we needed three things during the AIDS crisis, as Annie and I saw it, and Joseph Kramer, Annie Sprinkle, Joseph Kramer, and me. We wanted a sexuality that was as hot and exciting As the gay men had been having in all-night disco dance palaces, we wanted sex that was safe in the sense of physically safe, that did not facilitate the spread of a deadly virus. We wanted a sexuality that felt healing. Because many of the people who had lived the sex lives of the 70s did not feel that given the present circumstances, that form of sexual expression was healing anymore. And we wanted a sexuality with a spiritual component because so many of the people suffering from AIDS had been tossed out of the religion of their childhood Mm -hmm. by people in power in those religions who basically said that they were sinful sluts. Who had brought this on themselves and they deserved no sympathy. So, we needed a new spirituality. So, all of those things together is what we went in search for. But Tantra is a Hindu practice. Much of it is in Sanskrit, if it's been translated at all. Tantric gurus are primarily in India. All of this made it very complex to take what worked of Tantra and bring it to this community. There was a lot of translation involved. You had to make it accessible. You had to make it easy enough to do. It had to be in an appealing language. Again, remember, a lot of these people were sick. They didn't have a lot of extra energy for complexity. And it couldn't take years Mm -hmm. because they didn't have years to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was an incredibly good training ground.
1: You were forced to
2: simplify
1: and speed up.
2: Look at what worked and what didn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you tried some exercise or some practice and uh, that doesn't really, well, I'll keep at it. It was sort of like, "Mm, maybe we won't. Let's look for something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll go back to that later when there's time. So it was a, a very immediate need. And so all of that works very well for people today. Yeah. Can you say it more simply? Can I do it in 20 minutes? Well, you can do a piece of it in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And do I have to study hard? No. You may want to after you've tried it and want to know more, but to get immediate benefits, no. So that's how it all happened.
1: And for our listeners who may not be familiar with all these terminology we are using, what is Tantra? How would you describe that?
2: A heart-centered physically embodied spiritual practice that says that any aspect of earthly life can be the tools and on the path to enlightenment, whatever enlightenment is to you. Mm -hmm. Meaning anything here on earth can be used as a tool of transformation, including sex. That happens to be where my work Focuses because it's where the need has been. Mm-hmm. But Tantra is not all about sex, but it is one of the few spiritual practices that embraces sex as one path to the divine mm-hmm. or realization. And therefore people run to it because I think most people have had at least some experience of sex being a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. just a whiff of it or a taste of it or some sort of realization that in high sexual states, just like in high meditative states, we're part of something bigger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: There's something bigger out there. There's something more out there.
1: And you mentioned on your website too that this can even be a healing experience. Yeah. And if you haven't experienced it at that level yet, I mean, we can consider at least relationships just by themselves can be a healing experience. Saying that many of us are also hurt by relationships or sometimes by sexual experiences for someone who's seeking healing via relationships or sex Are there any things that they need to be careful about or they need to be open or they need to search well?
2: You know, it's really going to depend on what kind of healing we're talking about. In my book, Urban Tantra, I wrote in the final section about homeopathic sexuality. And what I meant by that was, you know, like in homeopathy, a minute amount of what hurt you is used as the remedy to help heal you. And that's how I thought about sexuality. My work went from people with AIDS to people who had women in particular who'd been sexually traumatized in some way. And we had to discover ways that these people who wanted their sexuality back, they felt, that whatever had happened to them had robbed them of their sexuality, we had to find a path back that wasn't re-traumatizing, for example. And what we started with was breath work. And in my work, and if you go to my website, you'll read a lot more about this. I'm very fond of breath and energy orgasms. They're orgasmic, ecstatic, full body, orgasmic-like states that you can get to just by breathing. In fact, on my website, you can even download an MP3 and I'll teach you how to do it. But breath work done gently will lead us to, I call them gasms, like orgasms, like giggle gasms and cry gasms and even anger gasms, emotion gasms. And the breath brings up a lot of stuff to be healed. And depending on how you breathe and how you're supported, breath were a piece of the way back for a lot of these women. It did not involve physical touch. They did it for themselves, with themselves. They were completely in control of the experience. They could stop at any time. Great. We moved on if they wanted to, for those who wanted to move on. The next thing we did was do the breath and add like Reiki touch, which is just gentle, hands-on, touch, fully clothed. For some people, we moved on to sensual touch without clothes. And that particular process was one form of the way that we discovered that we could invite spirituality and sexuality and physical touch into the room and make it safe because it was receiver-controlled, receiver-driven. And it was really profound. I mean, that's not the technique I use with everybody, but it's just a good example of healing by doing sex differently than the sex that harmed you, returning the control back to the receiver.
1: As you were describing the practices and the room, I was thinking... Do you have a certain profile coming up to your workshops or is it completely mishmash, mixed, different age groups, different social backgrounds? Is there like a stereotype for your
2: workshops? Good question. No, and that's intentional. When I founded Urban Tantra, it was with the express intention of inviting everyone who felt left out of traditional Tantra into the room. When I first started studying Tantra in the United States, it was pretty much white, middle-class, middle-aged, relative privileged, there were no other people. And given that we were bringing Tantra to a marginalized community, it reminded me that all marginalized communities were left out of this particular style of Tantra. Mm -hmm. So I founded Urban Tantra so that it would be welcoming of as close to everybody as I could get, by which I mean anybody who was interested. So there's all ages and races and classes and sexual preferences. Depending on the workshop I do, we might screen only to make sure that people understand what we'll be doing and are happy to do that, that that's what they want. That's the only thing we screen for, Mm -hmm. whether our intention and the participants' intention match up.
1: I think Urban Tantra reflects that diversity, even just like reading the reviews on Google Reads. You know, you have like 800 ratings on Google Reads for your book. I didn't know that. <laughs> and some of them are nine paragraphs. Really? <laughs> Why? we gotta go look at that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And like, you have amazing reviews and people sharing such intimate stories about what this book has done for them. And it was just beautiful to read the reviews. So I kept reading more and more. And the diversity you mentioned is reflected in the book as well as the reviews. And you can see the readers. Yeah.
2: Great to
0: hear. Thank you. So what do you think, Mario? I thought it was fantastic. I can't wait to listen to part two on the next episode. But one takeaway that I want to mention really quickly that really caught my attention was when you asked her the difference between, you know, over the course of her career, how sex and relationships have evolved. And she talked about how people in multi-person relationships, not that it didn't exist before, But now they're starting to come to the forefront and be more open about it and kind of lead with it and actually bring it to the forefront of awareness. And it was really interesting how she said that people in monogamous relationships can learn a lot from people in multi person relationships. Mm -hmm. I thought that was super interesting because, you know, a lot of times when people who are in monogamous relationships, especially here in the West, hear about people in multi-person relationships, there's like this air of judgment. Mm-hmm. There's this air of judgment that people jump to that like, that's not the way it's quote unquote supposed to be. Like we're anyone that should judge anything or say how things should or shouldn't be. But it's interesting that she actually took the stance of we can learn things from them and how operating within a multi-person relationship can be more complicated than <laughs> than in just a one-on-one relationship. And you know how complicated it is. Like relationships are work, period. I mean, they they yeah. take a lot of attention, time, energy, and compromise and all of those things, caring. It's just, you have to work on them. And just thinking about having multiple people in one relationship to really that dynamic, it was just super interesting.
1: Yeah, and we don't think about complications around having multiple partners. When we think about it, If somebody mentions that they have multiple partners, we are like, oh, that's nice. However, think about the time you spend together. Think about the resources you will have to split. Think about the obligations that you will have for each partner. And I think that was interesting to kind of see that it's going to be definitely more complicated.
0: Yeah, and just being open to the idea that we can learn something from... All of these different ways of operating, all of these different ways of living, regardless of whether you want to participate in a relationship with more than one person, or you just want to have a relationship with one person, a monogamous relationship, no judgment, but what can you learn from different experiences and different people doing it different ways? That was really interesting to me. And, you know, just framing it in the way of the relationship and how sex adds to the relationship and is part of the relationship. I think it's great. And I can't wait for part two coming up in the next episode
1: and the part two is in a completely different topic i mean still related to sex and education but it's about teenagers and what can we do to educate them around sex should we do anything are we supposed to do it or maybe there are other ways so i won't say much but if you're interested in the topic or if you enjoyed this episode please stay tuned
0: Right as we sign off, I just want to remind everyone, if you want to ask us any questions or ask Ila any questions about this episode or, you know, have her even ask Barbara a question for you, 424-625-5562 is the number. You can email podcast at peacefullease.com. And as always, keep up with everything at peacefullease.com. Ila, thank you so much. And I'm ready for part two on the next episode. Thank you, Mario. And thank you for listening to us. Thank you for listening to the Peaceful Ease Podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at PeacefulEase.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.